Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Liberty in America is under assault. We no longer live in a reality that includes property rights. We're no longer the kings of our own castle. We no longer enjoy the true benefits of capitalism. Instead, we're negotiating our rights with our own government. This isn't how our country was founded. These aren't the ideas of our founders. It's time to seize back our country. This is the Liberty Hour, where these important issues will be discussed for the sake of America's future. With a cigar in one hand and a copy of the Constitution in the other, here's your host, Sean Thompson. Welcome to the Liberty Hour. Charles Love here. You're terrific. <laughs> Let's hope that I am. Uh, another week. Good to be back here and uh, a lot to talk about. Obviously, we'll get into Trump and debates and COVID and all that kind of stuff. But um, like that bright guy at the start of the show is always talking about this is all about America and saving America and the directions you go to get to the end point may be different, but that's the goal. I got to remind people, it's the Liberty Hour. He should be talking about taxes and, you know, shaking our fist at government. But with the madness that's going on, you got to shift uh, your tactics here. And all the news every week keeps leading me back to race. And if you don't believe me, if you think oh, he's just bringing this up, think about the two of the biggest topics in the news this week. Obviously, the debate and the takeaway from the debate. Most people talked about one of two things. Trump over talking both the moderator and Biden. And white supremacy. I saw some article that said the they the Google search of white supremacy jumped 40 fold after the debate because we can just never get away from talking about that. Were, were there people who weren't aware of what white supremacy is? Yeah, I, I just wanted to see. I think they wanted to Google it and see if Trump would come up just to clarify everything. It's like, see, there you go. His picture's there. That, that's a uh, terrible arbiter of what is fact. Is it, is it a bad? Right. But wait, it gets worse. So that was Tuesday. The next day. California Governor Gavin Newsom signed AB 3121. It's a bill to study and make recommendations on paying reparations. So you see, folks, every week when I talk about this and you're probably rolling your eyes, please don't turn to stations like, why does he keep talking about this? It won't matter what your tea parties taxing up already say about taxes when all your taxes are going over here. Well, so if you want to solve the problem, you're going to have to stop people from talking about it. And assuming that uh you know, it's a straightforward study of, you know, who is the Senate of slaves, who is the Senate of plantation yeah, owners, yeah, maybe some say it's fine. companies like railroad. But, well, no, here's the thing. I hope Gavin Newsom is prepared for a bunch of white people getting reparations and a bunch of black people having to pay extra because not. those genealogies are all mixed up. There's <laughs> no clear cut. Yeah. <laughs> and you know that, right? I know. So, well, so, but the point is this topic, and we're going to talk about this. Give, give me a call at 312-642-5600. I need to hear from you today. I want to know if you think that this is just overwrought and it's like, why are you bringing this up? If you think the best solution is to just ignore it and it'll go away. 
And if you don't think that, tell me what you think the solution is. How do you approach the conversation? Because most of the people I think I hear are either the craziest uh, radicals who are bad or people who seem confused and don't know how to talk about it. And that's the reason why I keep bringing I keep talking about it. And I keep bringing people who I think have a different point of view. Like my guest here, uh, I did an interview earlier because of the time zone with someone. I wanted someone who would bring something a little different to the conversation. And she's definitely that because she's much younger than me. And she is a black Briton. Uh, her name is Anaya Falarin Iman. She is a writer and the founder of the Equiano Project. That's E-Q-I-A-N-O Project. Um, and she writes a lot about culture and race and things of that nature. And they're having problems over there like we're having here. So I wanted to talk to her about how they're addressing it and what's going on there. Here is the first part of that conversation with Anaya. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. So I'm excited to talk to you because I do a lot of conversation about race, politics, and, and the culture. But I don't get many opportunities to speak to the younger generation. So when I saw, I don't remember what the first thing I saw, it might've been a tweet. And I'm like, I need to talk to more people who are younger. So I wanted to uh, have you on. So um, let's just start off with what you do. Let's talk about the Aquano Project, tell everyone what it is and what was the catalyst for you to start? So, um, yeah, I'm a writer um, and I also very recently founded an organization called the Equiano Project, as you mentioned. And I've been thinking, I've thought about starting something like it for, for um, a number of years, really. But I didn't really feel like um, there was the right moment. So um, in the UK as well, there is a kind of emergence of this kind of race-based identity politics um, that is influenced very much by intersectionality and critical race theory, which essentializes those and homogenizes those that are kind of racialized as black to be um, experiences of racism, oppression and victimhood. And that's the kind of sole definer of and their identity in the mainstream conversation. And that was very worrying and concerning for me. And so um, to essentialize their experience and homogenize it to be racism, oppression and victimhood. And then when the Black Lives Matter protests um, basically came um, in Britain, that, that conversation really um, propelled um, into the forefront in a major way. And it was very worrying for me. And I wanted to kind of create something that helped to forge an alternative narrative, one that um, promotes a kind of universal conception of society that is um, forward thinking um, that is kind of inclusive and visionary and fosters kind of ideological diversity and a kind of deep solution-oriented discussion. We'll come back to that and talk more about what you've done and uh, some things you're planning on doing. You mentioned Black Lives Matter. And you being in the UK, I want to know, obviously, we, <laughs> we great Americans exported that to you. So I want to know what it's like. So when it came on the scene, it sounds like that was the same thing that kind of caused a shift there. So what people thought about it, and we'll get into similarities and differences between the reactions here, but initially when people started to hear it in the ether, what was the takeaways that people uh, thought about it and how was it received there in the UK? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I love America. I think it's an amazing country, but yeah, this has been the, the a concerning export um, from America, unfortunately. But yeah, I, I still love you guys. But yeah, when, uh, a few of, years right? ago, obviously, yeah, <laughs> a few years ago, 
um, of it, Black Lives Matter had kind of uh, entered the UK scene, but there, there wasn't, it didn't have much traction. It wasn't, no one really paid attention to it. But I think, yeah, the kind of pressure cooker, particularly of the lockdown and, and everything that um, emerged in relation to kind of COVID um, centered um, the focus of kind of what happened in America earlier this year to the kind of international scene. And that really just burst um, into Britain in such a rapid way. It was, it was really shocking, just the speed and the scale to which it was kind of transforming um, institutions and, and focusing everybody's attention. And yeah, I mean, the, the reaction has been, um, you know, really one of capitulation. Many people have been terrified to kind of uh, go against it because the narrative surrounding Black Lives Matter is so strong and so powerful and so certain of itself. It's been, um, it's been hard to resist for a lot of people. But a few months down the line now, I think a lot of the cracks are begin, beginning to show and I think more people are seeing that it's not just a kind of organisation to kind of uh, foster unity, or far from actually, it's a very divisive one. Oh, definitely. I uh, am writing a book about it, that in the 1619 Project. Have we exported that crap to you yet? Um, the 1619 no, Project? Not necessarily, but there's something else that actually has, um, uh, is, is almost similar to the 1619 Project, perhaps not as well known, but it's called Decolonize the Curriculum. Um, and that's mm-hmm. what um, has been uh, shaping the kind of rewriting of um, British history to essentially define it to be one of kind of solely colonialism and, and racism. So some of the kind of um, underlying ideas that underpin the 1619 project, there is a similar movement, unfortunately, taking a lot of sway in the UK as well. It sounds like you also have woke whites there, which they are interesting because they are willing to join a movement that wants to replace them. So they're willing to replace themselves and participate in their own demise. But The other thing I find interesting is the black people, many of the leaders who are black are interesting because their personal experiences disprove the narrative that they're trying to push on people, yet nobody notices. So they all have advanced degrees. They were wealthy or they grew up in wealth or they make more than the average American. And most of their supporters are the oppressions they claim to be so bad. So all whites are racist, but all the people giving you money, giving you a platform, hiring you, promoting you, making you a New York Times uh, staff writer are all white. And beyond that, another odd thing that I found is there's a trend that I'm noticing that the loudest voices pushing the all white people are X narrative are either biracial they grew up in predominantly white neighborhoods, so they're married to white people. So none of that stuff is a bad thing. It's just weird that you're like, all white people are evil except my wife. All white people are the devil except for my mom. And I would never, on LeBron James, I'm afraid every day because blacks are being hunted down and shot every day. So let me go to my home in a white neighborhood because I don't want to live amongst the people I claim make me comfortable. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I, I've definitely seen um, the, both of them to an extent. So the former, definitely that, that a lot of the people pushing this uh, most vociferously are really privileged, um, you know, ethnic minority people and, and also white people. And I think that's the, that's the problem with identity politics. It gets, uh, you know, middle class black people in particular to speak um, for the kind of entirety of the so-called kind of black experience because they share the same skin color as if there is, you know, this unified homogenous experience. And yes, yeah, so we've had, you know, essentially international historians 
friends, uh, international actors, um, uh, or professors, all talking about how oppressed and, and kind of victimized they are by society. And if anything, I, I don't think there's been really any um, contribution to this conversation by a working class and um, black people in Britain whatsoever. It's been almost exclusively um, people that came from a very wealthy background. So I think, yeah, it is almost like a kind of a struggle for resources and power amongst the elite or, you know, trying to get a bigger um, piece of the pie um, and using kind of race as a mechanism to do that. And particularly, um, I guess for the white liberals in Britain, again, I don't know if it's the same in America, but actually um, what, what I've kind of noticed is often um, the kind of uh, the kind of white liberals, middle class ones that propagate this a lot, almost use this as a, as a stick to kind of uh, kind of d- demonstrate their moral superiority over kind of particularly white working class people um, in Britain. It's a way to kind of show well, we're, we're different to you and we're better and we, and we don't kind of follow your kind of backwards racist ways like yeah it's it's, it's really um it's really stark um to see but also yeah i agree with your point about the, the kind of biracial thing i have noticed that to be fair i've not mentioned it yet but i, I definitely noticed it <laughs> and yeah, i think real bad you know, standard, I but i mean the facts are facts <laughs> when you notice something you talk about it right no, exactly. And I think, yeah, a lot of people, I think there is a kind of overcompensation, particularly um, from a lot of people. I think, again, the problem with this kind of identity politics, people that are perhaps, uh, yeah, bi- biracial or, you know, may, may feel that they, they have to um, assert greater their kind of black identity in order to be accepted as authentic. I'm sure there are a range of kind of psychological or sociological reasons but I've definitely I've definitely noticed it <laughs> wow so hopefully you're enjoying that and you see why it's important I'm going to that last part every time I mention it people kind of their eyes widen so I want to you know talk about that more but we'll have more with uh, Inaya on the other side you're listening to the Liberty Hour on AM 560 The Answer this is the Liberty Hour Here's your host, Sean Thompson, on AM560, The Answer. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Welcome back to the Liberty Hour. Charles Love here. When we left the, uh, in the last segment, while we were talking to Inaya Falaran Iman, uh, founder of the Equiano Project and writer from the UK, about race and BLM there. And I think I threw something shocking at her and, and, before I get to the next clip in the interview, I want to, you know, kind of explain that. What did you think about that, Macbeth? Because every time I say it to someone, they're like shocked at first. They're like, you know what? I hadn't noticed that. Did well, you get that part? It was about the the, the loudest voices right. with their fist up in the air about a black power. Blacks are being whatever. Grew up either in middle class uh, families or upper middle class families or they're mixed. Well, I think those are the people who tend to have the luxury of not having to work for everything. <laughs> and so those are the people who think you shouldn't have to work for everything. Maybe I'm wrong. Right, but but that, I think that, that's but my I think, outside observation. I think that gives you the elite angle. I think that biracial, there's some psychological stuff out there. I don't want to try to diagnose people, but if people could, you know, diagnose Trump from miles away, I can say that she, it's something to did. the yeah. Colin Kaepernick, Barack Obama, you know, uh, Hannah, uh, Nicole, Hannah Jones from the 16th, the founder of the 1619 Project. She did come just short of describing it as projection, and I think I probably would have. <laughs> well, there you go. So I, I say I'm not diagnosing them at all. I noticed something, and I'm asking you all listeners to go out and check it out. 
and see if it has some merit. See if, you know, line the stuff up, do the test, right? Peer review me and see what comes back. But, you know, we can talk about this. Like I said, 312-642-5600. Call me and tell me if you think this race thing is not as big of a deal as they, they make it out to be, even though they're trying to jam it down your kids' throats in school and force every uh, politician to pass a law with it. But, yeah, maybe as conservatives, we should just ignore it. That'd be the right response. Yeah, that's, that's never screwed us in any other way. No, no, it no, never happened. No, no. But w- whether, back to the interview, where it ended was, she finished with that segment, and I followed up by asking her about an article she had written about her schooling. And I ended up talking about, which we will discuss, what I kind of compared it to. But she talked about her experience becoming black after going from one school to another school. Let's play that clip. As you kind of uh, mentioned, yeah, the previous school was international. As you said, it was majority white and, you know, the the race wasn't really an issue. It was when I went to a school that I think was about uh, a solid 30 percent or so um, uh, black. I kind of became I I had to kind of I saw that the school was almost kind of split in terms of social um, in the social context in the playground between black and white. Not in a kind of racist way. I think that people just seem to organize themselves racially and that environment and then yeah I I ended up um, being conscious of my race for the first time like I I had to think about you know where I met I was meant to be in that particular social organization and um, what it meant to be black and and what that looked like not just in terms of you know skin color but also uh, the mannerisms and kind of stereotypes associated with it became um, for the first time became kind of something in my consciousness and I think um, yeah that's when I really started to 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 kind of instill race with with much more meaning than um, perhaps just uh, the kind of more superficial uh, judgment or color of your skin that um, we are usually taught it is. With this movement and the direction that they want to take things, especially black elites who are leading these groups, create and kind of associate all of us with a caricature of what black is, right? And I think this Black Lives Matter movement plays into that. What they, tell me what you think of that, about this. Whatever you think of racism, what these movements want to do is replace racism with racism, right? They say the segregation of the past was bad. They say, you know, whites having preferences of being able to vote, but blacks and women couldn't vote is bad. We all agree. So their solution, therefore, is to do the same thing, but we're just going to change the race. We get the preference, too. So that makes it OK. Yeah, and I think um, there's something that you said earlier, which I think is so true, which is that you, you kind of said that in some senses that they play on a truth or they kind of exaggerate a truth. And yeah, so yes, slavery obviously, you know, was a horrendous thing. Um, colonialism happened. There's been racism in, in different ways within, you know, different Western societies. And they kind of play on that truth and kind of exploit that reality to kind of completely reshape the narrative and when you and, and they kind of put anyone on a back foot because obviously when we're talking about things that are traumatic and cause a lot of pain and, and have a lot of um, kind of emotional sentiment involved in them you know they exploit that in order to prevent any kind of um, discussion or debate and I think I completely you know I agree with you I think um, yeah it, it's, a, it's a new form of racism or even some sense is a traditional form of racism and you see that particularly in the way that Um, particularly Black Lives Matter activists, but just the kind of identitarian activists behave when they see a black person, for example, that doesn't think the same 
I think that if you are a movement that actually wants to um, really combat racism, which essentially is to see people as individuals, you know, and not um, as a kind of racial identity, then you will welcome ideological diversity. You will welcome, you know, a range of opinions uh, because that's a reflection of people no longer viewing themselves solely through the prism of race, but they attack that. They, they despise that because it, it kind of rem- it, it demonstrates to people that maybe there isn't this kind of one way of thinking. And so, yeah, I think um, that, that, that the way that they behave is really um, a huge example of if they did attain the kind of um, economic and political power that they are so seeking, then, then they will not be bringing about a better, more unified society. I think it will be one of a lot of resentment and, and revenge and bitterness, and I, and I think it's incredibly dangerous. Hard to argue with that. A lot, lot of wisdom with, in that young age, right? Um, that's really important because, and that kind of gets to my point of why we need to continue talking about this from a, a, not necessarily a conservative, but from a logical perspective. Because, or how about from a human perspective? Right, but but the people who just are just having conversation. And people yeah, don't but, want to do that anymore. But that's what they're thinking. No, but to that defense, the, the people who are thinking like this are thinking, well, I'm not a racist. I don't have any ill feelings about anyone. You know, I treat all humans the same. Okay, that's great. Therefore, it's offensive to constantly be, you know, throwing this race thing in my face and talking about it all the time. Okay. Well, but yeah, the logic. In order but, but, to arrive at that point, right, it's a means to an end thing, right? You yeah. to, you're justifying, but, but once you compromise your principle, in pursuit of that end, then the end doesn't mean anything anymore. Right, but you keep talking about you. The other mistake is you keep talking about you, not the races. You this, you this. But what about them? Those organizations who are getting money and prominence are, as I said, trying to replace racism with race. So you should be talking about this for no other reason because you want to end the racism. Did I miss but, pronoun a whole group? <laughs> but coming back, we're going to talk more with uh, Anaya. See, now you're throwing me off. About yeah, this, but for those of you who think that we should ignore it, she's got the perfect solution. She, we're going to talk about abolishing race when we return. You're listening to the Liberty Hour on AM 560, The Answer. Now, back to the Liberty Hour. Call Sean now at 312 642 5600. Welcome back to the Liberty Hour. Charles Love here. And we are going through an interview I did with Anaya Falarinaman, founder of the Equiano Project. She is a black Briton and someone who writes and talks culture and race. But before we go to the next clip, we have Nick on the line from Chicago. Nick, welcome to the Liberty Hour. Yeah, welcome too. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I love your show, Mr. Love. Really, it's a nice, relaxing show, even though the topics sometimes are serious, you know, but uh, for Sunday evening. I truly appreciate it, but relaxing is not the way I'm usually described. I'll take it, though. So, uh, what are your thoughts? Okay. <laughs> well, compared to some of the big time stuff, uh, gets more intense. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, uh, look, I'm 71 years old. Uh, one advantage of being older is that you live through a lot of stuff that other people sometimes read about and try to understand from reading about it. Mm-hmm. But in the mid-season, when I was about 15, the civil rights laws were passed, 
Uh, one of, the other thing was a Great Society Welfare Program by President Johnson, which is basically a, a, a program that made it easy to get on welfare and hard to find a job, and I criticized that. And, of course, it, it, the image was it's to help black people, but I, I said it, I don't see that helping him. Even as a kid, I just understood that in my way, you know. Now, I just want to say as respectfully as possible to all, sometimes the liberal progressive people listen and all that, and uh, your uh, person that you're talking to there, but look, uh, you can't have programs forever and ever that uh, are always in effect reparations without somehow coming to an end. Uh, the uh, programs that made it uh, the grants to learn a trade, which means it's paid for, it doesn't have to be paid back. Two, three, four years of college uh, uh, paid for, it doesn't have to be paid back. Uh, and I'm not trying to be insulting, and I am sensitive to the fact that sometimes black people do get hired uh, last and fired first, for example, but sometimes getting on welfare or unemployment is much easier as a black person. Again, I say that, believe it or not, respectfully to, to the fact that they have a valid argument in ways to say there's a reason why they get fired, you know. But, uh, but I mean, how, how long does this go on? How long does the reparation go on? You know, I, I, I'm not quite sure if the people who demand it are not something like a union uh, officer back in the 50s with unions who demanded more and more and more, and, the, mm-hmm. and their membership was in the union hall yelling out, yeah, we want more and more and more. And then, uh, you know, uh, so it keeps feeding upon itself. You know? well, well, Nick, uh, uh, but hold on a second, Nick. I think that you were close, but you're not quite there because you lived through this once and you saw it. So part of what I try to do is to get people to understand whether you agree or you don't agree with, with, with uh, reparations set aside, the, the great uh, society, all that stuff or not. That's not what's important today. What's important, especially for people your age who remember this, is that you need to understand and recognize that what is happening here is nowhere near what was happening there. What they're asking here is totally different than what they were asking there. So comparing the two is fine, but people like you need to understand that it's different and be like, hey, they, they're being treated, you know, admit that things were wrong and things were different. And if people are trying to fix it, that might be fine. But you got to be clear. I think you're giving these people too much credit. You need to be clear that what the 1619 Project and BLM believes and what they want to do is toxic and racist and can't be mixed with those programs, whether those programs were successful or not. Yeah, and the distinction sort of, you know, a difference between asking for basic human dignity and part of someone's salary. I mean, that that's sort of a... You know, apples and oranges. On some well, and, it's, and they've gone beyond just the salary. They want to, you to understand that, uh, I mean, wait until you, I keep telling you, I keep saying and not doing it, right? Every week I say, when I tell you what they really believe, you're like, really? And I never, I'm going to give you one right now. All right. In the 1619 Project, the founder, Nicole Hannah-Jones, yeah. says that, forget about reparations, forget about money, forget about this. What she says is that anti-black racism is in the DNA of America. So you know what DNA is. So explain to me how then, given her their argument, because that's the way I approach it. I don't even say you're wrong. Assume you're right. So why are we wasting our energy trying to fix it? Hey, well, it's maybe in the she DNA. hired the uh, the the <laughs> random scientist guy from Jurassic Park. And he got some frog DNA and he mixed American DNA with frog DNA and sort of weeded out the racism. Right. It's it's like what are you talking about? If it's in yeah. the DNA, you can't fix it. So why are we even talking about reparations? Why are we even talking about jobs? Why are we talking about anything? We can't fix it. We should just go our separate ways. Pick up your ball and go. Yeah. Well. That's the, that's the approach. And that's on like page one of the manifesto. I call it a manifesto sometimes because yeah. they're crazy. 
Manifesto but, uh, gets the attention. It needs, <laughs> you know? So, but then you go the other way. Uh, let's 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 do the clip real quick. So the next question to Anaya was about this uh, movement that's going to abolish race. Play clip three. You talked about solutions, and you talked about how we fix this. And you did it. Uh, you wrote an article, and I think I believe you did. I didn't get a chance to see that one, but uh, interview with Camille Falsher. And you t- talked about this movement where they want to abolish race. Tell the people about that and what you think about it. So um, essentially, you know, the, the, the idea of abolishing race, it, it's been around for a while, but it, in the kind of new generation of thinkers, it's being propagated by Thomas Chatterton Williams and um, Camille Foster. And it essentially argues that um, something that is true, which is race as a concept or the way in which we understand it now, the kind of division of human beings into kind of biologically distinct subcategories were emerged under particular kind of historical and social circumstances and was used as a as essentially a weapon to um, subjugate people. And so now, obviously, um, due to the kind of history in relation to that, people have come to define themselves along racial terms, whether that is white people or black people, you know, whether that is kind of black power, black nationalism. People have, in some senses, inverted the meaning of race in order to kind of see it as a source of uh, you know, strength or, or pride or identity. Identity and and that's really understandable. But I guess race people that advocate for race transcendence argue that the concept of race itself um, is inextricably linked to racism. In order to kind of combat racism, we need to um, yeah deconstruct and 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 transcend the concept of race itself and um, and not assign meaning either positive or negative to it. I think it sounds great in theory, <laughs> and, and I hope that at some point we can get there. I don't think of the center of society right now that we can start there. It's almost like they've gone so far in one direction. We have to bring them back to where they were. And then we have to start sending them down and saying, this is why this is where you want to be. And, and I got to get Camille on because it would be great to talk to him and, and, and kind of go back and forth and say, like, like people argue socialism and capitalism. And my, my take is all the isms work if human nature wasn't flawed. But as long as people, at some point, regardless of the economic system, somebody's going to try to steal. So until you address that, there's only so much you can do. But I like the concept. Man, are you hitting the nail on the head with that? (laughs) Wait till you hear the next segment. I I talk about something that is a little bit different there than here, because we've been talking about a lot of similarities. So stick with us. More with Anaya Fuller and Iman. When we return, you're listening to the Liberty Hour on AM560, The Answer. You're listening to The Liberty Hour with Sean Thompson. Get on the line with Sean by calling 312-642-5600. Welcome back to The Liberty Hour. Charles Love here. Nice try, Sean. Hey! Don't be like that. <laughs> they, that's two people calling me Sean now. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> Including caller last week, which is funny. True, true that, yeah. true that. Well, we've been listening to my interview with Anaya Falarin Iman, founder of the Equiano Project, over in the UK on the other side of the pond. And uh, we were talking mostly about similarities. Black Lives Matter here and there. We got the 1619 Project. They have decolonized the curriculum 
that correct? Um, but here is a slight difference that I really love. So I don't know if you saw that here, but the music girl, the, the singer Adele got into a little trouble, but it seemed like it was more here than there. So their response was pretty interesting. Play the clip. Your article, Don't Import America's Race Wars into the UK. But we talk about some differences. This is a key one. And you tell the story about Adele. Tell the people about that and how it was taken there as opposed to here. Yeah, so there was this um, Twitter storm essentially that um, emerged uh, about a month ago, which was a picture of Adele in um, kind of carnival type, um, a carnival type outfit. She had like a Jamaican print bikini and she posted it on social media. And um, within a few hours, I think, yeah, lots and lots of kind of prominent American commentators were calling her a cultural appropriator and saying she was problematic for what she was doing. And yeah, it was a real, it was a real shock in Britain um, because yeah, we have this thing called carnival, which emerged um, out of kind of uh, racism, essentially, um, um, in, in quite a few decades ago. And um, it was a celebration of um, kind of a, a multi-ethnic uh, Britain that was emerging at that time. And it was an opportunity um, to celebrate kind of Afro-Caribbean culture. And it brought together white people and black people in that celebration. And it really, yeah, it was a really stark uh, reminder for a lot of people about the differences, I think race in America. Um, I think, for example, I think the New York Times now wants to capitalize being black and W and white to make it, um, yeah, to make it a demonstration that they are kind of distinct and separate categories. Obviously, I don't necessarily agree with that, but that kind of movement isn't necessarily in the UK. Um, kind of culture and race and class have always been a much more kind of integrated concept. And during the kind of anti-racist process um, in, in, the, um, in the 80s, in Britain, you know, working class black people and white people, you know, stood together as equals and, and class has always played a much greater part um, than race and you know, these kind of rigid cultural silos and notions of cultural appropriation have, have actually been quite alien to Britain. So I think, um, yeah, I think the kind of the division between in terms of race seems much more um, starker um, in America than perhaps in Britain. I'm going to, you're leading me right down the path. This is wonderful, but I have to go back because you didn't give the punchline. You didn't give the people, because you know, it's just, you like, what did I leave out? Because you already know this. Talking to Americans, give them the punchline of the Adele situation. Who came to her defense? Oh, what, black British people? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So you see there, here, we're all like, cultural appropriation, don't do that. You're white, you don't get to eat that, wear that, do that. And they're over there like, what, what is wrong with you? You're silly. So they haven't really adopted all of our crap. But we're getting closer to the hour, and this is the important part here. I usually approach this stuff from a kind of centrist. I always say Columbo, right? Like, uh, excuse me, one last question. Just give them their argument. But sometimes, you know, I if get into it. If you want to do it, it we got to do it. But, but then sometimes I have to tell them what's wrong with the black left. And here you go. So the black left in America, I feel, you can tell me, you can, protect, you can defend them if you want and say you disagree. But I feel they have an inflated sense of importance. You know, they, they have such hubris. They are always talking about the diaspora of blacks mm -hmm. as if all the blacks around the world think like them or for that matter, have the same experiences. So <laughs> what do black Britons think about black Americans? 
Oh, that, that's that's a hard question. I, I think I think um, it's a love hate relationship. I'd say it's a love relationship mainly because you know growing up. You know, I I grew up on on kind of um, a lot of African American TV shows and, and music. So, if, to be the, the truth is, you know, Black Americans do very much shape um, the kind of uh, uh, the kind of Black identity in Britain. So, I think the overwhelming is love, but I think that the kind of the conflict, yeah, then um, comes when um, yeah, when Black Americans seek to speak on behalf of all of us and to kind of yeah, to assume that the American experience is exactly the same as everyone else and the solutions to the American um, experience is the same things that need to be kind of imposed in, in Britain such as kind of um yeah, such as what we're talking about in terms of cultural appropriation and all that. And I think, um, yeah, so I think, I think I would say overall it is a love. I think in, in general, you know, black Americans have been a major kind of influence in terms of the kind of music, the, the kind of culture, all of that kind of stuff in, in Britain. So I'd say, I'd say it's a 70% love, 30% skepticism. <laughs> so I kind of like it. Black Britons, not all, but a good percent. Yeah, I would say collectively the percentage would be about the same. I liken them to uh, Hispanics in America, right? So they are those who come here legally and they're citizens and been here a generation or two generations. They are fully American, right? They love America, whatever, but they have a tie and identity to, you know, Venezuela or Mexico, wherever they're from. Either their parents are from there or their grandparents are from there. So they have, you know, they can go back and visit family if they wanted to. It's just a connection there, but I still feel I'm American, right? But they don't tie themselves to American slavery, right? Which mm-hmm. is, I'll get to the two black groups in America in a minute. Where, and it's kind of similar to you all there, right? Whereas here, black Americans, that's where the flaw is. They want to say black people have been treated like this and this and that. You know, just like all black people all over the place. And you're like, well, my grandfather was in Kenya and I can take you to uh, his, his aunt's house right now. That kind of, it's a totally different thing. And so saying that they're the same seems weird. And that's why some of the, there's a subset now in the black uh, movement where there's a group called ADOS, which is American Descendants of Slavery, saying that we're different. We don't necessarily agree with those BLM people, but we also, at the very least, understand that there's a difference between us and other blacks, like black immigrants. It's not the same experience. So at least they're not trying to paint it all with one broad brush. Yeah, no, I think I think it's really important to make those distinctions. I mean, in Britain, again, yeah, the, the black experience, so-called, is, is really one of heterogeneity. You've got kind of immigrants from, you know, the immediate post-war years from Jamaica who came to work, at, you know, in the Windrush generations in kind of lower skilled jobs. Then you had, you know, immigrants from, you know, in the last 10, 20 years from, from war-torn Somalia. And then you have kind of middle-class West African immigrants in the 90s. So, we're talking about massively culturally, ethnically, um, and historically divergent groups. And it's really important to make those distinctions, the kind of broad category and, and homogenizing it. I think, yeah, it kind of, it's actually quite erasing. I think it's important to, um, to understand the nuances and complexities of the kind of diversity of the black experience. And that's a beautiful story. And I think, um, yeah, I think the kind of, yeah, the Black Lives Matter narrative um, seeks to actually erase history. When they're when they're the ones trying to argue that they're trying to um, you know bring history to light, but actually, um, I think they just they brush over um, all of those differences. Yeah, and you know this is a great conversation. I can go on for another hour, but for you, it's dinner time. You probably got some things <laughs> to get on the way. But I want to ask if there's a 
anything you want to mention or anything you want to promo or anything you got coming up, you know, tell the people about them because you are definitely someone that everyone needs to follow. Well, yeah, I just recommend everyone check out the equinoproject.com and it's got, yeah, all of these things that we've been talking about, you know, we're having these conversations in the UK as well from like, yeah, the curriculum, education, you know, culture, uh, you know, race, identity, transcending race, all of these things. And I think, I think it's really important for us, despite the differences in terms, you know, between Britain and America to kind of continue that, um, that kind of cross Atlantic engagement. Cause I think there's a lot we can both learn, um, from each other in terms of what, what is right to do and perhaps what is also ro- a wrong way to approach it. She is Anaya, Anaya Florin Iman, founder of the Equano, Equiano Project. You're listening to the Liberty Hour on AM560, The Answer. But wait, there's more. This is the Liberty Hour. Here's your host, Sean Thompson on AM560, The Answer. Welcome to the Liberty Hour. I'm your host, Sean Thompson. <laughs> I went with a short intro there. Well, the guy told me I was Sean, so I believed him. Really? Is that that's that's not what it takes to convince you of something, is it? Maybe. Charles know. Love here for Sean. And uh, as we normally do every Sunday at this time, we have with us Patrick Brutus, our frustrated Democrat. He's probably, he's got to be a little less frustrated than normal, you know, with what's going on in, in, in politics. Hey, Patrick, how are you? Hey, what's going on, Charles? Hey, Macbeth, good evening. Hey, what's going on? Everything's good. Uh, you know, um, I uh, my, the clip at the end of the hour ran right to the end, so I didn't get a chance to give everyone Anaya's website, which is Equiano Project. It's E-Q-U-I-A-N-O Project.com. Uh, Patrick, you say you are contractually obligated to listen to this boring show because you're coming on. Uh, what did you think of the first hour? What did you think of that interview? <laughs> that was an amazing conversation. Wow. That was amazing. Dude, she's 23. Uh, she's here. 23, Patrick. She's 23. Yeah, she's, I didn't say that before. I'm like, should I say very... it online? Then I looked at her website. She's got a birthday on it. She is 23. Yeah, she sounds way more wiser and older and more mature for her age, doesn't she? <laughs> she gets it. Yeah. I mean, that's what's important. Yeah, no. And um, I get a lot, uh, you know, so I, I, I always come in here and, and Macbeth is like, what's the big deal? It makes sense. But I always talk about why I talk about these things, because when I'm not on air, I get a lot of, you know, those things. So I assume some listeners may be thinking, you know, why is this such an important topic? Come on, uh, man. But they don't know just how crazy these people are. I mean, you know, yeah. the DNA thing. Did you know about that, Patrick? Did you know that no, the 1619 Project say that it's in the DNA? I didn't know they said it was in the DNA. Yeah. That's that's even deeper than I would have ever imagined, right? Now, is that a paraphrase or is that word for word? No, no. not only is it word for word, it's in... So Nicole Hannah-Jones wrote the... Um, she's the founder of the project. So she, she runs uh, does the lead essay which mm-hmm. basically says this is our purpose right. but then it's followed by people who do essays on separate topics and several at least the three theme. of them say it yeah they say it and also people need to understand this i'll give you another little nugget 
Everyone says they, they who doesn't agree with Black Lives Matter, not that they say that black lives don't matter, but they don't agree with the organization. They don't like the way they approach things and they don't agree with systemic racism. You see, that's the gotcha question on the left. Everybody, Trump, Bill Barr, everybody has to answer that question, right? Well, they make this a lot easier for you because the 1619 Project does not say that the country has a systemic racism problem. No, no, that's that's child's play. Keep in mind, this is being pushed in your schools of all your kids and your grandkids. For those of you who say don't talk about this, they say every problem that blacks are facing today. Is born out of slavery. That, you know, that's I, I didn't say racism. I said slavery. And they <laughs> proceed to point out why. You know, the funny thing is, slavery ended over 150 years ago. Though, did, did it? Right? Did it? I mean, it technically did. I mean, Not, not according to those essays I've been reading. You know, I, I, I even go as far as going to 1865. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll take the two years for the, the right, Emancipation Proclamation mm-hmm. to make it across the country in June yep. 19th and all that. And I go to 1865, and, and just from there, you have 155 years of freedom, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um. And so a lot of those freedoms were suppressed. Yeah, a lot of racist like, people tried to fight it back. That's six generations, Charles. <laughs> six generations removed from the last uh-huh. person who was freed under the act, right? And so, so right, go on. I mean, come on. I mean, it, yeah. I, I understand systemic racism is in place because the people who control the systems may have been born in in, in a be legacy, right? But you can look at all the economic factors but like in terms of equality i i think we have parity i think we have in terms of a snapshot of right now oh speaking of right now you did a video recently where you're talking you want you say let's talk about it right that's what you say so let's talk about it it's funny the segues into that because you're saying that the people at the that that you talk about the fact that you know the system is the problem well according to you we got people at the table Right. So thanks for uh, I, I didn't I didn't see that coming, but thanks, Charles. I appreciate it. So I've, I introduced a new uh, Patrick Brutus presents. Let's talk about it. Facebook page where I'm going to you know do videos introducing topics or asking questions and just trying to really spark conversation, trying to encourage folks to actually videotape their response back because I think we get lost in translation in typing all caps and bold caps and things of that nature. And people get the wrong sometimes message when we respond. And why the letters got to be black when I type? Why the letters got to be black? Right, 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 right. (laughs) All all white background, right? Exactly. Right. But (laughs) today's first post was about why, you know, we, as, you know, minorities, black folks, people of color, whatever, we always say that if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And I contend that we are, at the table, we're at every single table where meetings are taking place, discussing policy and making negotiable deals to you know, get equity. But I think the reason why black people still think that we're on the menu is because we have the wrong people at the table. But we're certainly at the table, Charles. We're at the table, left, right, uh, you know, any type of industry, entertainment, sports, academia, you know, politics, business. We're at the table. We just have the wrong people at the table. Right? right, because if we still think we're on the menu, then the wrong people are negotiating on behalf of black people, and so you know that doesn't have anything to do with a systemic racism. That has everything to do with systemic capitalism, right? In terms of right. who's guarding the hen house, 
Right. And I think that sometimes we have people who have tasted the champagne and mm-hmm. guess what, Charles? They like how it tastes. So <laughs> they that. don't want to share the bottle. They don't want to puff, puff, pass. They want to take the whole thing for themselves. Right. And so those people are the wrong people that are negotiating for the people who are the have-nots. And those people who used to be the have-nots who are at the table negotiating on behalf of the have-gots are some of those people who are, they're have-gots and some of them are like, have a little bit, right? But they certainly aren't negotiating for the And don't forget about the other ones. Don't forget the have-gotten after they got to the table. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the worst. I didn't have, but then I got to the table and now I got. Right, and now I got, and then then there's a now I got. Right, and so, um, yeah, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, but I certainly think that's a conversation worth having because I think people really need to explore the deeper meanings behind the things that we're seeing and the things that, especially that we're not seeing. Well, that's so, the reason yeah, why I think all this stuff keep, keeps uh, tying back to my topic. Like, that's why talking about it in, in a context, in, in the right context and in a nuanced mm-hmm. way, it makes sense. So I talk about Black Lives Matter, 1619 Project Racism. You're like, what does that got to do with this, this, that, the other? But you just talked about getting the right policies in place and doing things that will make it equitable and e- e- equality for everyone and having the right person at the table. Well, I would say, okay, you say, and the, you want the right person at the table. Minorities say we need more people of color at the table. Well, the founder of this uh, 1619 Project is, is black. They're going to put our project in 90% of the public schools. So she's at the table. She's moving and shaking. Give you another right. little tidbit. I'm about to drop another one for you, Macbeth. I think there's 13 essays in the 1619 project. Not once. Zero. Never. Not once. Zero times do they offer a solution. I don't even mean a bad solution, people. I'm not saying they're saying, well, if we gave everybody a leatherback chair, that'll solve the problem. And I'm like, that's a silly solution. I mean, there is no leatherback chair. They nope. don't say anything. No they, they drop a bomb. Right. Slavery is bad. We still feel it. White people, DNA. And then they walk away. You ain't so, black. So, so right. And I think Biden says that in one of the essays. I'm kidding. But so that's the problem. You say, some of you, that the two issues aren't tied. I say it's two sides of the same coin. Right. right. You got one people. You got a group of people saying we're just trying to get the right politician who's going to do the right thing for the whole country. And then you have a segment saying, no, what are you going to do for us? And, and the first group of people saying, well, that's wrong. We're all us, not just you. But that's true. But even if they do believe, what are you going to do for us? The people that they're talking to are not equipped to do. They don't have an idea. And I keep mm. telling you, I say it all the time on the black table here every day. It's, it's not an education thing. I need to make that clear because that's what people get food. One, you get people say, well, that guy went to Harvard. He's smart, which may be true. Or People on my side would say, that guy's just dumb. No, you oversimplify it. Most of these people are smart and credentialed and they know their stuff. But when you are, what do I say, Patrick? When you are emotionally weak and intellectually lazy, yeah. that, that yeah. allows something. See, that's what the definition is. That means I went to Harvard. I know my stuff. But if I'm guided by emotion, I still sound like somebody who dropped out at junior high school. Because right, I'm guided right. by emotion. That's why these things matter. It will matter. It will dictate what your tax policy is. Right? Because Gavin Newsom, just what did he just say? We're going to study reparations in California. Somebody, you know, you know, New York, California, and Illinois all follow each other. So at some point, uh, uh, Jelly Belly is going to do the same thing. Cuomo is going to do the yeah, same thing. And, and that mm-hmm. is going to affect everybody's taxes and a budget that's already deficit. And you're going to say, well, how did this happen? Now, I'm going to say because you wouldn't talk about race. 
So well, I guess you get to respond. He's playing right. music, so I guess you get to respond when uh, we yeah, come, we'll back. come back. I can stop the, the music. <laughs> well, I know, I know, <laughs> that, but we have to follow the musical rules. Yeah, we got we to gotta do all that stuff. So coming back, we'll talk more with Patrick Brewers, our frustrated Democrat. You're listening to the Liberty Hour on AM560, The Answer. Show some R-E-S-P-I-C-T. This is the Liberty Hour. Here's your host, Sean Thompson, on AM560, The Answer. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Welcome back Everybody to the Liberty knows. Hour. Charles Love here with Patrick Brutus. The did we do, confirm that he was the less frustrated Democrat? Uh, he seems pretty benign tonight, but uh, yes. I don't want to pass it up. <laughs> yeah, 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 I had the, yeah, I had yeah, the yeah. angry Democrat the other day, but we'll don't get, get to me, that. Don't get time. me riled up because I was mad the other day. Don't get Ooh, me riled he was up. Hot. He was not. He was really mad. I was. I was he was not frustrated. So, um, t- w- w- what are your um, COVID numbers like there in Illinois? Uh, so we're at over 5.6 million tested in our state. Um, oh, that's almost yeah. half. No idea how many of those are repeats uh, of healthcare oh, okay. workers. See, I was just about to say I, almost I half. I don't, okay. think they, I don't think they show how many are repeat, but like in Chicago, we have, I believe, over 80,000 infected, right? So these oh, are as of, of, as of October 1st uh, numbers. So we have 200 and... 95,440 confirmed cases in our state. But what's been happening recently, we've had a lot of days where we've had 2,000 plus uh, positive test results, right? So to me, that shows we're on an upswing, right? Mm -hmm. We're on the other side of the curve going back up. This is the second wave. Mm -hmm. And what's amazing, Charles, is that throughout this recent uptrend in you know, double, you know, the usual 2,000 plus confirmed cases per day, we are at the state level as well as here in Chicago making provisions to allow trick-or-treating. Yeah, there we go. You got a trick and or treat, one of the two. I can shed a little light on that. Okay. Right? Because yeah, you've only got four days between Halloween and the election. And we saw in March that COVID in Illinois is not as deadly when it's around an election. Um, it's fine to have an election, but it's not fine to have a church service. So because Halloween is so close to the election, virus not as deadly. And remember, in March, for the March primary, Pritzker knew that COVID was around. Yeah, he went out of his out, way to and make he sure. Still allowed, yeah. He still allowed uh, in person. Um, oh, 100%. I was there then. And, yeah, uh, I came into town and I landed and they had shut all the restaurants and everything down that Sunday, that right. Friday night. But then Tuesday, right. you can still so go they, vote. <laughs> right, right. And so here, here we are. We having we're having the same lead in to election day. And I'm think and, and thanks for bringing that up, Macbeth. I wasn't thinking that way, but you're absolutely right. We have the same lead in to election day and we're going to let all the kids and all the parents go around all these places and do trick or treating. Uh-huh. And we're supposed to, you know, not worry about it because Chicago has a new superhero. Oh, really? Yes. We have Rona, Rona destroyer. So oh. we have a new superhero. So we don't have to worry about any positive uh, results after Halloween. Well, I can we say this. The one thing, fix all that. 
the one thing we we can all agree on is that one thing that we learn is that uh, what's the title again? I like yours better than mine. Who is that person again? Rona Destroyer. No, no. What's the what's the, the person who dressed up as uh, Rona Destroyer? What's her title? Oh yeah, it's the uh, CEO of the municipal corporation known as uh, Chicago. Yeah, that CEO. One thing we learn is she likes to play characters. She likes to play act. Right. Yeah. We had it in well, a cowboy you know. hat. We had her doing the, the, the PSA videos. We had her with the memes. She likes to, you know, she likes to dress up. Mm. Well, you know, it's <laughs> feeling cute. Might close your church later. Don't know. <laughs> I yeah, turned the car. It's, it's, I stopped the car and instead of turning around, get out and walk away. And, you know, I, I just always turn try the to car be around. Extreme. I try to always be extremely positive when it comes to, you know, discussing. You know, Chicago, right, you know, um, but this week has been really strange. You know, last week we had the Cowboy get busted and, you know, that was somebody who was on the payroll to advance the uh, idea that uh, the census was a critical need for Illinois and Chicago. Obviously, we're losing congressional seats and that affects federal Mm -hmm. funding. Yeah. And then, you know, he rides the horse on the highway, gets the horse impounded. He gets a ticket. He goes to jail. It's a whole, you know, soap opera in Chicago. And then this week, you know comes out in a Clorox uniform superhero thing and, you know. I don't think that's in, a in, fair in, characterization in, in the of the same, COVID In the double. same weekend, it, but it's the same week for the president. <laughs> it's the, <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, look at it this way. He was killing many birds with one stone, right? Because anytime somebody sees him and associates him with Lightfoot, okay, that calls attention to the census. Mission accomplished, right? Right. You're, you're calling Mission attention to uh, violence against children. Plenty of media coverage. Plenty of times that got out. Mission accomplished. Also, putting uh, animal cruelty right on the uh, right on the front burner for everybody. <laughs> it's awareness, gaining awareness. So he's, uh, he's, uh, he's a right. Threat. That's a trifecta. That's a um, triple threat trifecta. Can I ask you yeah. a, a side note? You know, sometimes the mind just just the, the things just come up, and maybe maybe yeah, if you brought true. it up, maybe you know. Why is the census only important to to, to minorities? <laughs> I thought the census was for everyone. I mean, when but I was you, little, it used no, to be, but now every every ad I see, every billboard, every commercial, every person talking about it, it's always you gotta count, otherwise they won't know you're Hispanic. Gotta count, this, otherwise they won't know you're black. Might, this might be a good topic for the black table this week, but I tell you, Dude, you're absolutely right. You I want to know: Does the census count white people? That should be the first question. Does the census include white people? Go. <laughs> no, not you. I'm saying that should be our that should be our first question on the show Thursday. Like, like, uh, you know, um, you know, it should be right, rapid yeah, rap, fire, rapid right? Fire, rapid yeah. fire, yeah. Yeah, yes, so that's yes, interesting. Yes, I just yes, noticed yes, that yes, as a side note. So he mentioned census. I'm like, wait a minute. Now that you mention it, the only ads are for blacks and Hispanics. Huh? Imagine that. Yeah. They used to count everybody. They used to count everybody. Maybe they're going to count as double. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We're going to count for two. You know, it's going to be the reverse of the uh, 13th Amendment. So, <laughs> and uh, Macbeth, that was your that was your big shot for the drum roll, Macbeth. No, I don't for do the, drum rolls. I do shot. crickets. The, the rim shot, but in ching. Yeah, I, that's that's a little too cheesy. I don't have anything like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we're just off the rails now. Let's go. Um, so what else you got in uh, good old Chicago? Well, you know, as we always go, this week I did not count because last week I was so uh, frustrated and not happy. Oh, right, because it, right, it was um, like 100 for that it, week. It was 100 for the week, 101, I believe it was. So, you know, I've just stuck, you know, 
to the facts, and I'm going to give you the weekend numbers so far. Uh, but I was right last week. There was an uptick Sunday evening after we signed off, and the next morning we had a little bit more, I think it was 17 more um, shootings. But so far this weekend, Charles, we're at 31 shot and two killed. And so I think everyone would consider that a, yeah. a good thing. Do we need to ask to uh, Matthew McConaughey? <laughs> I bumped those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matthew McConaughey's yeah, a little outside the box on that one, but yeah, that's that's better than it has been in many weeks. Right, right. So you know, I, I want to credit the cold weather, mm, um, yeah. and I'm hoping that that number holds and doesn't increase overnight. And we'll see. You know, tomorrow morning that it you know stayed at 31 and two. Well, Halloween's on uh, a Saturday. We have that to look uh, forward to. Know. What? Um, yeah. Another random question. I think I asked this a few weeks ago, but it keeps happening here. Do you all have a, a spike in stabbings there, or is it just all just a good old-fashioned shootings? Because we like to stab well, people you know, in New York for some reason. Yeah, so last week we had about three stabbings, which was rare, um, especially that they called it out. Now you can play Matthew you know. McConaughey, because I think we get three stabbings a day. <laughs> But uh, that's just yeah. on the subway. And, 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 exactly. you know, and let me just, subway, you know, let me, let me say one thing to our fans. Even though we seem to be making light of these numbers, we're being really serious in the sense that, you know, any death is uh, one death too many. And these are, um, you know, a perilous times that we're living in right now. But, we, it, you know, you have to, you know, uh, laugh to keep from crying sometimes because, you know, this is a consistent you know, thing in our society where we're just seeing the violence, you know, run out of control and run amok. And, yeah, and, we're, and not, uh, we're not making fun of the violence or the people yeah. getting hurt. We're getting we're making fun well, of the people who are out there parading around pretending to stand for people's lives mattering, who will just utterly ignore this because it's inconvenient oh, to their narrative. That's what we're making fun of, not the violence itself. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, we got a couple for, seconds yeah. here on the way out, Patrick. Do you want uh, you don't you can just say no comment? But you know we both saw that that flyer for the black uh, conservatives for Trump thing. You you got a comment you want to make about uh, the uh, person on the flyer? Uh, both of them did not show. <laughs> I wonder why. It was a double no show. Ouch. Well, it's uh, you know I, I would have to do that solo. Well, it was great having you as always, and we will talk to you next week. You guys have a great week. Yeah. Patrick Brutus here on the Liberty Hour. Coming up, Trump and COVID. Now, back to the Liberty Hour. Call Sean now at 312-642-5600. Welcome back to the Liberty Hour. That was 312-642-5600. We're talking Trump and covid Give Sean a call. <laughs> yeah. So, um, since how many people are going to call in uh, between five to seven on the weekdays when Sean's actually on the air and say, "Yeah, uh, Charles told me to call Sunday night, so I waited till <laughs> so now." I just waited, right? Um, are you still on this topic? Yeah, right, exactly. Um, <laughs> so Trump and COVID. I don't know. Like, we can coin toss. Let's go. Are they inseparable at this point? I think we have Trump to take COVID. them apart, put them back together, and then take them apart and put it back together. So, because the COVID thing is the biggest news now, but hey, we're only here once a week. And when we left, there hadn't been a debate yet. And so yeah. now, well, I mean, if that's what you want to call that thing, 
Uh, whoa. I can uh, call yeah. it a number of things, just not on the radio. Yeah, I don't want to get into all that. Uh. The madness that it was. Uh, just to say it was bad. They was bad. They were bad. Trump was bad. Biden was bad. Wallace was bad. It was bad. Yeah, the the uh, the camera work was excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Audio yeah, was and not it bad. Stayed on. Yeah, it stayed yeah, on. Technically, yeah, it was a time. fantastic production. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh but, man, was that a mess. Um, yeah, it was a mess, and uh, no one answered questions. Lots of Everyone missed opportunities. Each Lots of missed opportunities on both sides. Really. So we can we can actually simulate the debate right now. We could. Hey, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Well, but see, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So you no, know, no, nobody understood either. Was at that point. Yeah. So there's no point. But in that debate, um, the thing that stood out to me the most, which won't surprise people when I mention it, because of what I talk about, it got buried. Yeah. Because everybody talked about the white supremacy question and the gotcha question for both of them yeah. and the interrupting. But Trump was asked about uh, the training things and the critical race theory. And he gave his answer. Well, I think it's bad. It's da, 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 da. And Chris Wallace said with a straight face. Yeah. A 70 year old white man said, but are you really glad you're wrong? There's something wrong with that. Wait, are you saying there's something wrong? Well, so, did, you catch how he, wrong? did you catch how he termed it? He termed yeah, it he, racial he sensitivity, sensitivity training. training. Yeah, that's what he called it. Yep. Is there something wrong wow. with racial sensitivity training? Well, yes, Chris. There's something wrong with teaching people that they're beneath you because of their race. Yes, Chris, there's something wrong with that, you moron. <sighs> Idiot. But Trump didn't have it in him to say that. I don't care about the rest of the debate. For 15 seconds then, and, and, I just wish I could speak for Trump. Yeah. Hey, you moronic loser. And, and yes, that was it is wrong least. for me to say to you that you are beneath anyone else because of your race that you cannot control. Yeah, that was the least of the missed opportunities. I think that was the second most frustrating thing after just the <laughs> uh, the um, the mess that it was. I keep trying to say yeah. things that i can't say everything about it was bad uh but uh, but the yeah that that really you know i didn't watch it live i watched it later on were, that night people were telling me wallace did a great job i'm like what, what? but then you get to COVID. so then the COVID. so biden's thing yeah. trump's biggest mistake though was not letting uh allowing biden to make the mistake he would have made because yes. he also said nothing <laughs> he said nothing so my thing is this COVID thing well and he said trump me. didn't act soon enough so apparently we should have closed uh, travel from China before we knew about the virus. We should have done it in 2018. I uh, yeah. And at some point it wouldn't have been racist. But anyway, but beyond that, I give him an argument. So Trump has done a terrible job. If I were president, I'd fix it. Well, what would you do? I don't know. Uh-huh. Because what is he saying? He would just shut down every state. So what do you do when the states say we're not going to listen? You're going to send troops? I don't he know. has no idea. Everybody knows he has no plan. Come on, man. Come on, man. That's what he would have said. Close the close your state. No, I don't want to. Come on, man. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous it, it that. Yeah, it, it's, it's just senseless that people are like, well, that's better than Trump. How? It's not. It's nothing. He hasn't said anything. He just said, I would have been better. Well, what would you have done? Better. I would have done more better. It would be like a Spike Lee movie. More better. More better COVID. That's well, what and, he would have given. And him. if you're Biden, really, all you have to do to win points on that question is go. Well, I wouldn't have tweeted. And then you can get half the conver- or half the, the the audience laughing for you, and yeah. uh, if there was even an audience, I don't know yeah, if there was. They don't, we don't do audiences. Nah, but you say it's all like Jim staff from members South, or something. Is but, Jim from South Elgin still there? He has a, uh, a comment about there, COVID. Yeah. Jim, welcome to the Liberty Hour. Let's talk COVID. What do you Jim? got? Well, you know, you know what I'm realizing <laughs> is the media coverage of COVID 
is the same way the media covered AIDS, HIV, when it was first coming out. Because nobody knew what was going on. If you, had, if you had AIDS back then, it was a death sentence. Yeah, you could get it from kissing people and, yeah. Well, everybody actually, had the government it, right. changed later on. They said, well, if you have your relatives, you won't get the AIDS virus. But initially, that's what it was. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like so the media is treating COVID like AIDS, and that's why people are being afraid. Right. And people have to understand a lot of this stuff is just hyped up. You know, the survival rate is unbelievably high. But let me it's tell like you this, though. Right, you're right, but here's the thing. Don't you think that we, we would have been better served if those uh, people who think it's being exaggerated, the seriousness of it, like the death sentence of it, would have been done a better job from Trump on down of messaging it? What people made mistake of doing, they went from, it's not, everybody who gets it is not going to die, calm down, but that's not what they said. What they said was, it's a hoax. Or nobody's really getting it, or you know whatever. So I think that they should just like everything else. It's the messaging, and it was messaged poorly. Well, see, the problem is, you know, Trump you know, banned the flights from China, and he was criticized for it. And of course, Nancy and everybody else said, "Oh, it's not a big deal." There's, there's, you know, video of Fauci in the in, right. in February saying, "Oh, don't worry about it. You don't need a mask." And yeah. so the the, the 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 dynamic kept on changing. Right. And no, he was supposed to so the act like he, he's the doctor and he was supposed to know that all the way back then. I'm reacting to what they tell me. So I say it's not that bad. Then they tell me this and I say that. What do you want him to do? It's like um, you can you'll, you can only do with what you can with the best information you got. So I will give the, the left that his rhetoric has been terrible because it always is. He could always speak yeah. better. But but they say his right. reaction. So did he close the border? Did he send the ship the comfort to New York? Did he say they kept exactly. saying they use it? And then ignoring well, he should have got his ventilators. He did. But he should have got them fastest. Did you use them? Well, no, I didn't use them. But still. What? Then how is it a failure yeah. if you didn't even use the stuff? You ended up giving them to other states. Well, because That's I wanted right. them. He didn't give them to me when I demanded them. You got to remember right. when this broke. When this broke, I was in New York, so I was right. here when they were on TV saying everybody was dying, and I'm looking around like, "What are you talking about?" You know, my son had an emergency. He went to the hospital, and we were the only ones in the emergency room. I rarely tell that story because I don't get personal. But there was nobody in it. It was in New York City. Nobody was in the hospital. He was the only person there. You know, you were talking about uh, you know the point at which you know the the, the message kind of turns right, and mm-hmm. I think and we're a little bit over for a break, so we're gonna have to yeah, I see it. Here, yep. but, um, you know, I was Thanks, around, Jim. I was a kid. Yes. Thank you, Jim. I was uh, a kid when Ryan White passed away. And if anybody who doesn't remember who Ryan White was, he mm-hmm. was essentially the first, um, young, non, um, stereotypical AIDS patient, right? At that point, AIDS was mm-hmm. considered sort of a disease of the homosexual and drug related right. and everything else, which it may have been either through chance or just through, through basic circumstance. But Ryan White wasn't that Ryan White was the kid who got it from, uh, uh, I believe it was a blood transfusion. Blood transfusion, yep. And um, so that broke a lot of the messaging stereotypes. And I don't know that, um, you know, Trump live tweeting from Walter Reed is enough to break um, some of the messaging stereotypes on COVID for either side. Well, we'll get um, to that on the other side. I think he could have done that if, yes. he, if he wasn't Trump and he did it better. But we will talk about COVID, a little bit more Trump, but COVID when we come back on the other side. You're listening to the Liberty Hour on AM560, The Answer. You're listening to The Liberty Hour with Sean Thompson. Get on the line with Sean by calling 312-642-5600. 
Welcome back to the Liberty Hour. Charles Love here. We were talking Trump and, and COVID. We're going to go heavy, heavy COVID here. But I do want to make one last point about uh, that debate in Trump. One thing it did for me, and I, I watched half of it on mute just to hear the questions and then read some transcripts. But it did separate out those people who are, you know, truly trying to find the best candidate or they've already made them up their mind, but they still want to see what happened. Aiming you know, to get or, triggered. Right. Or those full on, you know, the people who just love Trump blindly and say this, whatever, because I wanted the first thing I wanted to see after that debate was go to Twitter and find out of those MAGA hat wearers, the Trump lovers, how many of them was going to say, woohoo, that was a great debate. And there were a surprising number of them. I was kind of shocked by it. I, mean, I knew there'd be some, but there was a lot of, I mean, some of my friends, most of my friends who are big Trump fans were like, yeah, he could have done better, whatever. But some of us like, yeah, it was great. I mean, it was awesome. I love when he was cutting them off. I was like, yeah. you do realize he sucked, right? There's a certain amount of I'm people just, just not being honest with themselves. <laughs> I'm like, you do realize he absolutely sucked and I thought he was three. So you didn't think he was three when you watched it? You didn't think he was three? Okay, just check it. So, I mean, you got to give it to him. I mean, that's not a glaring report on uh, Biden. It's just saying, you know, he was three. He should have been at least seven, right? It's somewhere around where he normally is, 12 or 13. Oh, now I'm really going to get in trouble. But um, I was encouraged I, by one thing, though. There, there seemed to be, oh, for the most part, okay, for the most part, there's exceptions to everything, but for the most part, um, it seems like the entirety of the United States and indeed the world hates Chris Wallace. So yep. that gives me hope that True. maybe we can come together over common uh, common bonds and common opinions. And to be fair, that. what other surprised me, I didn't hear a lot of people saying Biden was good either. They just said Trump was bad, whatever. But what I've do you think got a number of, of very liberal friends who privately, not, not in like Facebook statuses and that, but they just in text messaging, they were very upset at oh, the Supreme Court answer specific or non-answer specifically. Right. Yeah, they were um, pissed. One of them wanted him to say, yeah, we will put as many justices there as it takes to counteract what's been done over the last four years. And two of them just said that it just the optics were so bad. Right. Of trying to get around a question, not committing to one of the basic tenets of uh, the Constitution. Right. So he had another one that he didn't answer too. But yeah, that that was just a comment for that. But that's enough with that. So back to this this COVID thing. Yeah. I was saying before the break that Biden has no no um, clue. And I would argue that most people didn't. That's what happens when you have something for the first time that you haven't dealt with. So. I'm always talking here. You listen to me on the show. You know, I always say that every interview. No different here. Well, what's your solution? Let's get we can have our debate and talk about that. That's fine. That's cool. It's important. Let people hear two sides. But the end, how do we fix this? So I say, what do you do? So I talk to most of my my liberal friends and I say, OK, you hate Trump's response. Go. You can't say if Biden were president, would he do better? Because he wasn't president. Trump's president. So tell me Trump's in office, what he should have done that would have been good. So I say, you all hated that he closed the, closed the border, so that didn't work. So what did you want to do? And they'd start off by telling you what they wouldn't do. Well, I wouldn't tweet about it. Not, not what I asked you. What do you do? And, and they never really give you a logical response, right? They'll say, well, maybe he should do this or maybe he should do that. And you say that's not true. So, well, he should have shut things down earlier. Really? Yeah. Well, because well, the states didn't know what to do. It was up in arm. He should have made a decision. What did that look like? What would that have looked like? And they say, what do you mean? So he wanted to shut down Texas and Florida. And the governor said, no, what, what did you want him to do? Send in troops? Because you were already calling him a fascist. Explain to me what Nancy Pelosi would have said if he said that's what he wanted to do. Right. How was he going to stop? In New York City, remember I was here at the time, they were body slamming people in the street for not wearing masks. 
And at the beginning, Nancy Pelosi was saying, no, go down to Chinatown. She's go talking down about to San town, Francisco. Right. She's talking about not the believing the hysteria oh, of the crazy oh, we're, right. We're, we're in Chicago. Where was the NBA All-Star game? And Aha. when was it? And when was it? Yeah. Stick with us on the other side. You're listening to the Liberty Hour on AM560, The Answer. Nice try, Sean. This is the Liberty Hour. Here's your host, Sean Thompson, on AM560, The Answer. Welcome back to the last segment of the Liberty Hour this weekend. As we say, two hours go by fast. It really does. So um, I think we got a bit of a challenge. I want to go to Dave in Niles. Dave, welcome to the Liberty Hour. A fantastic show. I just hope you guys keep rocking with it. Unbelievably good. Oh, that was, um, I wasn't Dave. expecting that. I mean, I thought you were going to come and push I me. Just, just, no, no, just a, clar- just a clarification, <laughs> right? Just a clarification that Trump never said that the virus was a hoax. He never inferred it was a hoax. He never acted like it was a hoax. Right. Okay. Uh, and the thing is, he also had to walk the tightrope because we have a lot of we have a lot of forces out there that would like to take us down. Mm-hmm. You can't let people know when you're weak, and you can't run around with your hair on fire. Well, you're 100 so percent correct. You have to show you 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 have to show leadership. That's what leadership's all about. When it comes to the debate, looking at the record, he drew Biden out to get Biden to say things on the record. And to leave things off the record that really helped draw out who Joe Biden really is. Yeah. Oh, well, well, that's true. You know, I appreciate it. You know, I would like to, uh, one, clarify, your clarify, is that when I was talking about hoax, it may have run together. But I was saying, keep in mind, I was saying the problem with the message, don't you think that the people who, who think that COVID is being overblown, would do a better do a better service to everybody if they explained it better. But you got some people who are saying it's a hoax. Some, in the middle some people this. Yeah. Right. I was kind of listing and things you hit, up. And I you didn't say Trump said. I didn't say Trump said it was a hoax. I agree with you. He never said that and he never implied yeah, it. That's talking true. about media history. And you and you really yeah, and you really hit the nail on the head. It was a brand new thing. It came out of left field. Exactly, just like you're saying. And right. it had to be dealt with. Right, right. Well, Thank I you for all that you do. Thank you. I appreciate it. What, um, I I'm glad to that... know Dave's car's locked. <laughs> Hopefully he's still listening. I, I just <laughs> think that um, the goal should have been to do whatever you can to protect America and inform people and get in front of the virus. Once it becomes political, everybody's going to lose. So, yeah. yeah, I honestly say it would have been smoother if Obama was president at the time. Not because he was a better president, because nobody would have been up. See, you were almost going to have to... Nobody would have been trying to make, not just trying to stop him from succeeding, but make him look bad at every turn. Oh, look, he told us to do this. We shouldn't do it. Oh, look, he told us to do this. We shouldn't. Well, do it. Oh, no, you know, that kind of let's thing. not discount the vast right wing conspiracy. Um, <laughs> you know, that's always out to get every leftist as it yeah, yeah, reelects yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. Yeah, I, there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of, you know waves of cognitive dissonance washing over the shores of rationality here. And right, I think, look at right now they're saying it's his fault, right? He's right. Like, it, wait, so my first question to that was, so you're telling me no one who wears a mask regularly has gotten COVID. Because if the answer is no, shut the right, front door. Exactly. The, the front and door. The, point of, the point of what I was saying is just that, you know, if you, if you look, um, like let me say something else that's also stupid and somewhat clever. 
right? The the era of digital movies is in, right? The, the era of, of Netflix and Amazon Prime and all this stuff. You don't have projectionists in theaters anymore, but now what you have is projectionists occupying half of the political spectrum in the oh, United States. I see States what you did. Because I see what you did. every single criticism they lay against Trump and, and more broadly congressional Republicans, national Republicans, um, it almost word for word, tier for tier, is is literally what's in their playbook, what they've been spouting for the last eight months to four years. And it's and it's just comical. I lay that out in my book too. In the 1619 project, because they say that. I'm gonna uh, have to uh I'm gonna have to get and read that book. What was the name again? I don't know. It doesn't have one yet. You need to give me some ideas. Great answer. That is an awesome book. Maybe I'll call it Great Answer. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I finished writing it this morning. I haven't even edited it yet. Who knows what the name Dude is? Dude a but, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're but uh, it's going to be important. You should buy twelve copies, actually. Uh, if I had them. eleven friends, I would pass them out to strangers on the street. Well, thank you all for joining us again this week, and hopefully, we uh, entertained you and taught you. You've been listening to the Liberty Hour on AM five sixty, The Answer. I have to go home. 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 I have to go home.